In this episode, I talk about our calling to live out the mission of Jesus by seeking out the lost and how to do it well. You know, my friend said he was thinking of buying a car with a transparent driving wheel. And I was like, dude, steer clear. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 98. It's so good to be back with you. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I highly, highly encourage and invite you to rate and review this podcast. Uh, It helps other people find it. And if you've been a listener before, you like this episode or this podcast, please share it with a friend, share this episode with a friend. The highest compliment you can pay us is to share this on social media. Make sure you tag us on Instagram at Mana Food for Thought, all spelled out. And you can go to our website, manafoodforthought.com, to contact us via email with uh, suggestions for episode topics, with questions, and also to see all of our weekly blog and old vlog content, as well as our whole archive of podcast episodes. You can also see the Patreon tab when you get to the homepage. If you want to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that uh, there, manafoodforthought.com. So all that being said, Welcome, uh, my friends, to this episode. Let's get into our peak pit and plug. Um, I'd love to hear what some of your peak pits and plugs are. So if you're a listener um, and you enjoy this or you enjoy this reflection, I would love every time you hear an episode, just email me. Let me know what your peak pit and plug is. I'd love to be keeping you in prayer and celebrating with you um, and seeing what things you're into. So my peak was that um, for the first time in two years, I got to go back in person to the Catholic Youth Ministry Convention that Life Teen does in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was in person this year. Um, it was just this past week as I'm recording this, and it was such a gift to be there. Um, just, It's like a big old happy fam- Catholic family reunion of ministers. And so it was smaller, a little more intimate, but it was still just so good, uh, mainly to just be in community with other people and um, to not... Um, Arizona has different laws um, about or different regulations about masks and um, a lower case count. So um, really didn't have to wear a mask when I was there, which was uh, different, but felt very safe. There was a lot of distancing, a lot of protocols being um, put in place. And it was just very beautiful to kind of feel that sense of normalcy again. So a huge peak for me, a lot of highlights, um, one of which I'm going to be talking about in today's episode, but that was it. So um, the pit was, um, you know, being away from, um, my family. That was the longest I'd been away from my family. It was almost a week. It was six days. Um, and also all the people that were missing all the other area contacts. I'm an area contact for life teen. Um, and there's a lot of other ones that I only get to see, you know, once a year at these types of events, cause we're spread out all over the country, some all over the world. And um, a lot of them couldn't be there. And a lot of other youth ministers couldn't be there, or weren't able to make it. So, It was bittersweet in that sense, but it was still so good to gather. Um, My plug is a book that I just finished um, and I was reading while I was there that also kind of contributes to the idea for this episode, which is a book um, on discernment. It's called Discernment, Reading the Signs of Daily Life by my homie, Henry Nowen. Um, I want to, you know, I can't wait until hopefully one day he's canonized. Such a great uh, writer and modern theologian. So um, highly recommend that book. It's an easy read. Um, If you're thinking of, you know, discerning anything, if you have trouble making choices, if you really have trouble listening to the voice of God and discerning, is that God's voice or is that my voice? This is one of the best books I've ever read on discernment, if not the best book um, I've ever read on discernment. So um, highly, highly recommend that. Um, And in that book, as I'm kind of segueing into this episode, 
Henry Nouwen talks about paying attention to how God is speaking in through four prime ways. And this is a very generalized summary of the book, so I highly still encourage you to read it because he breaks each one open. But he says basically through books or the things that we consume um, intellectually, nature, he calls it the book of nature, so creation, people, and events. And, you know, I was reading while I was in this new place. I spent a lot of time outside in the warm weather. I got to see different people I haven't seen in a while at an event. So all four of these were kind of like peaked for me when I was at uh, the conference I was just at. And I was reading this book and really trying to have been for a while also trying to discern what's next for me. Like, what is the Lord calling me to do now that the chaos of this ministry year is over and our new youth minister, by the way, pray for our new youth minister, Tanner at St. Timothy. His first day was today. And um, I threw a lot of information at him. And so I hope he wasn't too overwhelmed, but he's a great guy and um, needs all the prayer and support and encouragement um, that he can get because ministry tends to be a pretty thankless job. And if you're in the area in Laguna Niguel, South Orange County, and you want to get involved in a super awesome uh, parish youth ministry or young adult ministry, uh, let me know and I can uh, set you up with a meeting with him. So anyways, um, now that all that is over and he's started, you know, I've been discerning what's next. You know, I'm still set on doing ministry at St. Tim's for the next couple of years at least. But, you know, what is the Lord calling me to now that it's not just survival mode? You know, what, how is he really calling me to use my gifts and expand my role at the parish and also how I just live out my faith in the world? And one very important and just beautiful conversation I had was with another area contact friend of mine named Kyle from Louisiana. And he was just kind of talking about what he does in ministry. And he just threw this, this thing out there that he does. And he says, he said, I spend two hours every week that are devoted to seeking out the lost. Spends two hours a week that are devoted to seeking out the lost. So he goes out into bars, into public, into coffee shops, and he starts conversations with people and tries to, you know, introduce them to Jesus or see what their experience of faith is and encourage them to come to this Bible study that he does, this discovery Bible study that specializes in people really just kind of learning how to live out the faith and go live it out in the world and um, people from all walks of life. And I just, I don't know, I thought that was very cool. It reminds me of, you know, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where it, um, Jesus says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. And that is, you know, that was the ministry of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled his ministry on the cross by saying, it is finished. And he ascends into heaven, but he didn't take the disciples with him. He didn't take us with him. He left us here to continue that mission. And we are an echo of that first generation of disciples. Generations later, we are that same group who is carrying on that mission to go seek and to save the lost. So this is ours as well, our mission as well. Um, and it just made me reflect also on how our our modern approach to evangelization is very media-based and online. And I get that COVID was and still is a reality that forced that to happen, forced a lot of online ministry and evangelization to happen. But it was a predominant style and way people were doing it before that. There's been a lot of online digital evangelization initiatives. And I think that's good. Um, but I don't know. I think we have to recognize, you know, this reminded me of, of Psalm 146. Put no trust in princes, in children of Adam powerless to save, who breathing his last returns to the earth, 
that day all his planning comes to nothing. That last line especially, when we die, all our planning comes to nothing. And so all the ways that we, let's say before technology, that we were trying to evangelize or seeking to spread the gospel, when we die, those are over. And I think the appealing thing about online evangelization is that almost you are setting yourself up to have this legacy. You're extending your life online and having this almost more eternal or more immortal temptation to get this message out there. And it can seem more appealing and almost like it's a a more appealing and easier way out from the messiness of doing it one-on-one in person, you know? I think we know this. We know that when we die, we take nothing with us. All our plans are over. But consciously or unconsciously, I think many of us use social media and technology as a means of attaining some sort of immortality. We want to be eternally relevant because we have an eternal hole in our hearts that only the eternal one can fill. And instead of turning to him, we try to create an immortal online persona. And in the context of being a Christian who's called to evangelize, This becomes a means for easy evangelization, where we post and witness online because it's easier. It will outlive and outlast us, reach more people at once, but it will be in a less meaningful or impactful way or for more selfish reasons, whether we realize it or not. It's easier. And so, I don't know, it just really compelled me to think about in my own life, and I encourage you to think about in your own life, do you spend any time, especially in person, devoted to seeking out and saving the lost? devoted to having those conversations? Do you just wait for them to come up naturally? Because really, how often does that happen naturally? You know, um, it does, but like rarely, you know, um, or do you, you witness only online, you know, with a Bible verse in your Instagram bio or in your email signature or in making a subtle reference to going to mass that weekend or praying, asking uh, if you can pray for someone else in the workplace or in passing. Those are great things. Don't get me wrong, but they are just scratching the surface, I think, of what we're called to do. And that radical in-person, person-to-person intimate type of conversation and relationship is the context that this happens in in scripture, you know, and I know they didn't have these big you know, um, you know, technological advances at the time of Jesus. But I've said this before, that would be the equivalent of Jesus just becoming Caesar. He could have been like the military Messiah that people were expecting. He could have become the leader of the Roman Empire, and he could have just made a mandate and said, here's the good news, spread it to everybody, and, you know, write it, announce it, and it would have lived on in the annals of history in a different way. And it would have been the easy way to just mass media get the message out there. But it would not have been as impactful because it wouldn't have involved these moments like Jesus and John 4 with the woman at the well. Or um, I think in John 9 with um, the blind man. And when he has this person-to-person, tangible, touch-to-touch, physical encounter with another person, to really go where they are, go where the hurt is, and minister in that place, and preach to them the good news, that they have been saved, that they are lost in their sin, that they are separated from God, but they have been saved in Jesus Christ, and they can claim that salvation now. I know that's scary. I know that's, you know, like very intimidating. And so I want to talk a little bit about like how we can do that. And it's just, you know, having a conversation. I was reflecting on this at CYMC that, you know, it's so easy for me to just sit and have a conversation with someone because I know like they at least have, you know, some kind of common ground of ministry. 
But in reality, we all share a common ground of desire. We all struggle with sin. We all have a God-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. And we all turn to other things. And so everyone, in some sense of the world, word is going through the world unfulfilled. Going through the world searching, seeking. And if we can tap into that, then we have that same kind of commonality that's a little more general. But it should provide this kind of easy, like it was easy for me to sit down at the pool and just strike up a conversation with someone. And it should be that easy for me to sit down at a coffee shop or at Chick-fil-A or, um, you know, at the gas station or at work if I work in a, a secular workplace, um, you know, anywhere and be able to say, hey, how are you? What's going on? Or you look you look down, you know, what's going on with you? Or, uh, hey, what are you working on there? Or, what are you reading there? Um, oh, hey, is this seat taken? Hi, my name is so-and-so. Um, how's your day going? Have any plans this weekend? Um, oh, you work there. Do you like that? Is that what you want to pursue in life? Like, what are you passionate about? What are you looking for? Like, naturally finding just that opportunity for that conversation to come about. And so I would encourage you to do that. And here's some questions that I think are important to, to kind of get to know the person and open those doors for, you know, deeper questions of purpose, meaning, fulfillment, desire. Um, and, you know, what, do you, what brings you joy? What are you passionate about? What are you involved in? Uh, what do you do for a living? Does that align with those passions or joys or not? What are you looking for in life? And I would encourage you also to have something in mind to invite them to. Whether it's a church, a ministry, a specific event, a small group, or maybe it's just dinner or another conversation. To be like, hey, I come to this coffee shop a lot and I really enjoy this conversation. Can we exchange information and maybe do this again? Because, you know, I really love to talk to you more about that. Um, or, you know... Oh, I see that you're looking for a faith community, and this is something that's resonating with you. Uh, I'd love for for um, our family to have you over for dinner, for you to meet my wife, and for us to just talk more about this. You know, and just really have that radical hospitality for people. So whether you're involved in a ministry or not, whether your church is really on it with evangelization or not, or has an event or a ministry to invite them to, you can always create the opportunity. Another conversation over coffee. Um, you know, lunch out, dinner at your home, something to show them that like, this isn't just like, oh, I do this because um, church told us to, and we're supposed to. So I'm going to, you know, I did my little Jesus talk for the week, but no, like, I really want to accompany you on this for as long as I'm called to, and really plug you into a community. And if that community starts with us first, our fam, my family first, me first, that's fine. I just have to remember the goal is always Jesus. The goal is always um, a church community, the body of Christ. And so, I don't know, I just want to challenge you to go and do this. Like, if you take evangelization seriously, which we should, we all should, because it's a mandate of the church, then we can't just do it in convenient locations or when people come to you. This is the problem with most churches. They have dynamic lists of ministries and things like this, and they can look really great online or on their Instagram, and they can just be doing all these cutting-edge things. But if they're not going out... They're all they're doing is just doing really great stuff for the people who decide that they're going to show up and come into the four walls of the church. And the Great Commission said, Go make disciples of all nations, go, not wait, not have a seat, not make yourself comfortable, not build it and they will come. No, it said, Go make disciples of all nations. This is in the Catechism in paragraph 849. This is called the Missionary Mandate. It says, having been divinely sent to the nations that she might be the universal sacrament of salvation, the church, 
in obedience to the command of her founder, that's Jesus, and because it is demanded by her own essential universality, strives to preach the gospel to all men, all people. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. And that is quoting Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20 at the end of that paragraph. That is our primary role. Our job as disciples is to go and make more disciples. That is our role. How many people have you discipled in the past year? How many people are active disciples that you can name, that you are confident they are active disciples and it's because of something that you actively did to reach out to them? Are there any? Can you count them? Can a parish do that? Can a parish ministry do that? Can a parish say, if you went up to your parish priest and said, how many people has our parish actively discipled in the last year? How many active disciples has our parish formed and created in the past year? Would they have a list? Would they have names that they could tangibly say, these are the people that our parish has discipled this year? I don't think we would. I'm not saying my parish is great at this either. Like, I don't know if we could. I mean, I can think of some people in the programs that I know specifically have had you know, a particular encounter with Jesus, and the programs were very much oriented toward evangelization, moving into discipleship. But still, it was it intentional enough to be able to say, yes, this was the goal, and now they are equipped to go and carry out that same goal in their own lives to the people they're in contact with? That shows the intentionality of what ministry is supposed to be like and what our lives are supposed to be like. And so I know that's in- intimidating, you know, but I just, I don't know, I want you to be aware from now on, of those signs of daily life, as I said, that book on discernment with Henry Nouwen, and this is more instead of an inward discernment, receiving things, kind of an external discernment of, you know, receiving what's around you um, in the information, um, the people and events that you're at. And just pay attention for the promptings of the Holy Spirit on your heart. Like if you feel like, oh, you need to go talk to that person or go pray with that person or that person looks down or, you know, um, you look at that person, and you just know like something is going on there. To just confidently go over. And even though it's intimidating, just say a quick prayer to the Holy Spirit. Ask for the Holy Spirit to be with you. And I would even encourage you at the beginning of your day or in your prayer time, whether it's the end of the day, looking forward ahead toward tomorrow, or the beginning of your day each day, I would encourage you to ask for the Holy Spirit to call your attention to the names, the images, or the people you should be looking out for that day. So to really have a receptivity to the Holy Spirit and just say, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to quiet my mind and I invite you just to reveal to me what I need to be paying attention to today. Who are you looking to speak to through me? What are you looking to do through me? And to just quiet your mind and whatever randomly pops into your head. It could be a name, Carol. It could be, um, you know, pay attention to someone in a green shirt, you know, or Um, it could be a time of day. It could be an image of a person. It could be, um, someone with a cat, you know, I don't know, someone that it just clearly is in your mind and you know that throughout the day you're going to be thinking and having eyes for that and saying, okay, if the Lord brings someone across my path that that describes, and then I'm confident that describes, I'm going to go up to them and I'm going to start a conversation and maybe reveal to them. Like when I was praying this morning, this is something that the Lord revealed to me. And I just want you to know you know, whatever you feel that the Lord wanted them to know in that moment. Maybe he'll reveal it to you that morning when you're reflecting. Whatever it is, you know, allow the room and the space in your mind and your prayer for the Holy Spirit to speak and compel you to live out that missionary mandate to go. You know, I think 
we don't allow the Holy Spirit to animate our lives, not because we don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit or trust in the Holy Spirit, but we don't provide the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to use us by saying, okay, I'm going to be externally minded today. And Holy Spirit, what do I need to pay attention to in order for you to use me? And then actually be looking around. We're so always looking down at our phones, our devices, what we're doing. Go, 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 trying to keep up with this American secular idea of achievement. Instead of keeping up with the religious, the Holy Spirit-led life, which is to slow down and receive and pay attention and be intentional about where the Lord has placed us. So I want to invite you to do that. You don't need to have all the answers. You just basically need to be able to have a conversation And I know maybe with COVID, we've been shut away, and maybe we've even forgot how to do that. This is good practice to relearn, because these people you will probably never see again if you mess up, and that's okay. Try it. Try it. You don't have to call a bunch of attention to yourself, but try it. And you might find an opportunity to invite them to something, to pray with them right there on the spot, invite the Holy Spirit to give you the words, and be bold. And I would love to hear, if you do this, I want, please do it. First of all, I challenge you to do it. Um, If you're listening to this podcast and it's just for intellectual stimulation, you are seeking out information about your faith for the wrong reason. I mean, everything that we consume for our faith should compel us into action. And so I'm challenging you to put this into practice. Do it at least once this week. And I want to hear how it goes. Even if you feel like you royally failed or you felt it was really successful or something in the middle, I really want to encourage you to to do this. And so um, allow the Holy Spirit to be with you. Ask for that. that guidance, and for the Holy Spirit to call your attention to the ways in which he desires to use you uh, in your prayer time that day or the next day. And one saint I just want to call your attention to, I'm not going to go super in-depth with the saints. I'm just going to kind of see who the Lord places on my heart, and you can easily Wikipedia them because that's what I did before in all of the saint episodes. So anyways, um, someone that I just really placed on my, God really placed on my heart in this was Pope St. John um, the Twenty Third. Uh, he was the Pope right before, um, oh my gosh, I should have looked this up. I think he was the Pope right before Paul the Sixth, and then um, John Paul the First, John Paul the Second, and then Pope Benedict. So um, the funny thing about him is that he was instrumental. He was the one that started the Second Vatican Council, the most recent um, ecumenical council in the church, which really brought the church into the modern world. It didn't modernize the beliefs of the church, but a lot of the practices of the church. In fact, there was only one doctrinal change at the Second Vatican Council, and that was that the bishop, um, the office of the bishop, is the fullest degree of holy orders. And they had they instituted this you know, theology of the sacrament of holy orders. Everything else was just a change in the way we practiced what we believe. But what's interesting is, um, so he does this in a big way, but in the election um, to elect the Pope in the, the papal conclave, they couldn't agree on the next person. And John the Twenty Third was getting older. He was like, you know, um, I think he was believed to be kind of like, you know, uh, uh, a nice, you know, serene, you know, not a troublemaker type of guy. And so um, it's been said that like the, the conclave elected him as a placeholder because they couldn't agree on some of the other candidates. And so they kind of were like, okay, let's select John the 23rd. It, that wasn't his name at the time. I can't remember his actual name. Um, but let's elect him, and he'll just kind of hold, this, hold the office for a while while we kind of you know see what the Lord is doing. And, um, and then next time around, we can have this conversation again because we need a new pope. And so he wasn't really expected to do anything big, bold, or you know unexpected. And lo and behold, he... Um, calls for the um, the ecumenical council, the first one in almost 100 years, 
um, to bring the church into the modern world, to throw open wide the windows and doors of the church, I think, as he said, um, and invite the people in and to air out the place of its kind of staunch stoicism um, that people had perceived it as. And so um, the Vatican, I'm rereading four of the documents from the Second Vatican Council. They're the four most important, the four dogmatic constitutions of the Vatican Council, the most influential documents. And I would encourage you to read uh, Lumen Gentium, which is the document, um, I think, on the church in the modern world, or it might be just on the church, but there's two on the church. But I encourage you to read chapter four um, of that. It's only um, eight or nine paragraphs. It's paragraphs uh, 30 to 38, and it's all on the laity. And the laity is us, like the lay people are non-ordained Catholics, people who are not in a religious order, not ordained priests, not um, religious sisters or brothers. It's, you know, your normal single, married, um, you know, youth, young adult, whoever, out in the secular, regular world as Catholics. What our mission and calling is, is written in that, those paragraphs. I would highly encourage you to read it. Uh, Do you know your mission? Do you understand your role? Because you do have a role in the church that's essential. It's not just the priests who do stuff and we show up and we listen and we just go back to life. We actually have a job, all of us, as baptized believers. And so are you doing the job? And Part of that job is doing something that John the 23rd used to do. John the 23rd used to sneak out of the Vatican because it has, you know, he has a guard, like a secret service called the Vatican Guard. But he used to sneak out, get past him, and he would go be found having a beer or pizza with the people and just being with them in these, you know, relational encounters. And I just find that so cool. And so like, you know, Pope Francis is very much like that. He wants to be with people um, doing very unconventional, non-very formalistic things. And I think that's so refreshing. And I think um, John the Twenty Third really paved the way for that. And there was a lot of theological, you know, um, bubblings of things that people wanted to see happen that eventually took place in the reforms of the Second Vatican Council. Um, a lot of, um, you know, the main thinkers there involved Henri de Lubac, um, Han- Hansers von Balthasar, um, and and a lot of the the eventual thinking and writing of. Um, Benedict the Sixteenth and um, Pope John Paul II, even though I don't think one or both of them were at that council, um, and other famous theologians from the time like Karl Rahner and people like that, um, all very influential on a lot of those um, things. So it wasn't just John the Twenty Third, but he allowed for that to happen. He was that kind of mustard seed, as the gospel recently said, that allowed this big uh, change in and modern. I don't want to say modernization of the church, but um, ability for the church to find new ways to allow this relevance and relational quality to be lived out in the way we do ministry, the way we teach what we believe, those beliefs that that have not changed. And so how does that look for you? If you were to have a second Vatican council for your life and you were to throw open the doors of your life and be willing to go out and live out that missionary mandate, live out the great commission of Matthew 28 and really live with the goal of being a disciple who makes disciples what would that look like if you did it? What would it look like if you devoted two hours of your week to go and seek and save the lost? Where would you go? Who would you talk to? What would that look like? And what would it look like if you really invited the Holy Spirit into that? 
uh, because you can't do this without the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you're just going to be, you know, firing blanks into a dark room with no targets. Like you're going to be um, useless because we're going to be doing what we think, you know, um, using acting like the Holy Spirit is some kind of fortune telling superpower that we can predict. Uh, you know, oh, I'm going to go say this to this person. And they're like, dude, I that's not my name. I'm not struggling with that at all. You know, like the Holy Spirit has to reveal these things to you. And so if you're struggling with that, then focus first on really gaining clarity um, of mind and of heart in your prayer um, so that you can really anchor yourself to the Spirit. But once you invite the Holy Spirit in, I guarantee you'll, and having an, an attention for your ears and your heart, the ears of your soul to be attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you will notice those prompting, promptings come more frequently and they'll get louder and louder, um, especially if you start responding to them in faith. And so I encourage you to do that. Go try and live this out. Go put it into practice. Go make disciples. Um, and until next time, please pray for me as I pray for you, and I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.